It's been a long time since I've seen my friends. We usually love to all get together and spook all the people that come through the haunted house. Sometimes it really stinks to have to wait. I get really lonely. I don't have a lot of friends here, and it's hard for my friends to come visit where I live. I don't really remember a lot from before living here. There are some memories of playing and climbing a tree as high as I could. Being up in the tree, each branch a little further up from before, I climbed and climbed. I would sit on branches and stare at my feet dangling over the ground. A silly feeling in my stomach if I focused on the ground and not my feet. I climbed every tree I could find, as high as the branches would let me go. Sometimes I wouldn't be very far off the ground, and other times I'd be so high up that no one could see me, hiding in the leaves. Climbing down was always the hard part. Looking down while climbing was always seeing the ground, my feet dangling somewhere out of view. The moment after letting go of the branches and before putting my weight on my feet, made the silly feeling in my stomach grow bigger, but it always disappeared. One of my favorite feelings is how solid the ground feels after you jump out of a tree. You no longer have to worry about looking down at your feet. I can't climb trees anymore, but I don't miss it. The last time I climbed a tree, I went so high, the highest I've ever been. I sat up in the tree for what felt like hours until I was called in to come have lunch. As I'm climbing down, I lower myself, unable to see my feet. They dangle for a moment and my foot catches on a branch. I start to put my weight on the branch, still searching with my other foot, but from where I'm feeling, there's only the notch my foot is on. I can't look down, so there's no way to see what's under me. My hands are starting to get sweaty from holding on to the branch. I can feel it slipping from my hands, my grip growing looser and looser. Finally, and not without struggle, my hands slip off the branch and I tumble out of the tree. I scream as I fall, looking at the leaves up above me as it grows smaller and smaller the further I fall. For the briefest of seconds, I had a searing pain in the back of my head, and then it was black and weightless. I was floating on a sea of black, the occasional sound of my mother saying my name, and two red dots that would stay in a pair floating around me. One day, I woke up from the floating. I opened my eyes, and it was so bright. I had to blink for a few minutes before it all started coming back into focus. I was in a bed, a bandage wrapped around my head. It was quiet in the small room I was in, beams of sunlight shining through the window landing on me. I got out of bed. My legs felt weak. I don't know where I am. I opened the door and wandered down the hall doors lining this hallway, broken up by carts filled with blankets and maybe medicine. I open each door. The rooms look exactly like mine. Some are empty, some have sleeping people. I try to stay as quiet as possible, 
to not wake them up. I was in room 15. I opened 17, then 16 and 18. I crossed back across the hall. I opened 19, then 21. 21 looked different. The lights were off and the curtains were tightly closed. I could make out beds, but they looked smaller and more metallic. There were people sleeping in this room, too. But as I look, one looks familiar. The soft blonde curl hangs down the edge, the person blocked by the sheet. I approach what I now see as another girl. I peel back the cover and freeze. In the dim light, it takes me a long time to process that I'm looking at me. That was a long time ago. I don't know how old I'd be now if I grew up. Not many kids came to the hospital and even less stayed. There's one boy here, but he's always with an older lady. Even though I wanted them to get better, I liked when the sick kids came to the hospital. I could play with them and listen to stories their mothers and nurses would read. I miss being read too. After a while, it was people who looked like my grandma. They didn't like seeing me as much, or they were always asleep and didn't notice me. One day, there was something else inside with us. I'm not sure how long it had been there. While walking through the halls, I heard a man crying. This man never cried. He was very happy or very angry, (laughs) laughing or yelling, but he never cried. The next day, the man went to go outside. It was a sunny day, so he stayed out there for a while. I walked by his room and the curtains were shut and the lights were off. I glanced in and saw someone standing in there. They were hard to make out, darker than the room. The thing slowly turned around, sensing me, I suppose. As it moved, it was thin and lanky, and its face finally exposed itself. Two red dots in a pair, its eyes. When the old man died, He didn't leave. He stayed in his room with the dark thing. Whenever the thing came out, we would all hide. If there were people around, it would bother them rather than the rest of us. It was an evil thing. Trying to get whoever comes into the room it shared with the old man. Scratching and hitting them sometimes picking them up and throwing them. The man and the lady that bring the living around always ask for the old man to come see the visitors. But sometimes it's not the old man that answered. That thing could impersonate all of us. It watched us when we didn't notice and acted like us to lure the living into a secluded place. We never heard our visitors. 
but that thing did. When people started visiting more often, we had the chance to scare them with the workers. I always enjoy the rush of people. There's so much activity in people who are genuinely happy to feel or see us. We can touch them or grab at their ankles or clothes. They always scream and then most laugh because they screamed. It gives us all a good laugh too. Sometimes we scare people too bad and they stop coming back. It's not that we mean to, just sometimes they're more scared than they act. One day, people were talking about Nick being gone. Nick was fun to scare with at first. He would make people scream and laugh the loudest. Nick came in after being gone for a while. He seemed really sad, like he was missing someone. He would stare at nothing when he was alone, always acting like he was lost in thought until someone tried to get his attention. And once he remembered where he was, he would get all sad again. One day, Nick went into the old man's room to fix something. He wasn't in there long, maybe five minutes. And when he came out, the dark thing was standing in the doorframe with its red eyes fixed on Nick as he walked away. It didn't take long for the dark thing to creep into the shadows behind Nick, following him around. He got sadder and sadder, more quiet, and the dark thing was getting bigger and meaner. One day, Nick was all alone. He didn't turn on many lights, and there were lots of shadows for the dark thing to hide in. He emerged from an unlit room, and the dark thing had climbed onto his back. As Nick carried it on its back, it began melting into him. As the last of it disappeared into Nick, his whole demeanor changed. He straightened his back and rolled his neck, it cracking as his head returned to normal. Nick walked to the front door, grabbed the handle, and turned to face all of us as he opened the door. A wicked smile spread across his face, terrifyingly evil. As he turned back around to exit, A glint of red passed over his eyes, and then he was gone. Hey guys, it's Holly and Brittany, two sisters who take a deep dive into the history of the world's most haunted places and paranormal happenings. This is Sisterstitious, and it's about to get spooky. Utah's most infamous haunted house sits in a city called Tuella. This haunted house attraction is called Asylum 49, and it was founded by a man named Kim Anderson. 
Originally a hospital used in the area, it was converted into a haunted house attraction with props and actors. But what you may not know about this attraction is that it's actually haunted. Actually very, very haunted. So haunted, in fact, that as you make your way through the rooms and hallways, it might not just be actors you're interacting with, but real spirits. But doesn't that make your visit so much more entertaining? You can think to yourself, did you get spooked by a human actor or one without actual flesh and blood? We would like to add that there will be many spirits and experiences listed in this episode, but we really only touched the tip of the iceberg. If you would like a more in-depth look into what paranormal phenomena lie in Asylum 49, we highly suggest reading The Haunting of Asylum 49 by Richard Estep and Cammie Anderson. Now, since every good ghost story starts at the beginning, that is where we're going to begin. Tooele, Utah sits about 45 minutes outside of Salt Lake City. Tooele was first home to the Goshoot Native American tribe, but in 1847, the white settlers came into the area. These white settlers were part of the Latter-day Saint community, and even more pioneers came into the area two years later. With both groups using the land, the Latter-day Saint community blamed the Goshoot for killing their cattle. With this, the Latter-day Saint pioneers started attacking members of the tribe, and a lot of lives were lost on both sides. While there were efforts from the government to protect the land that initially belonged to the Goshoot, the white settlers continued to pour into the area, deeming Utah that was a promised land given to them by God. The movement of the pioneers into the area completely destroyed and interfered with the Goshoot's ability to sustain themselves from their land. After many years of fighting and bloodshed, a peace treaty was signed in 1863, which promised to end the hostilities and the right of free passage through the native territories. Also in the area of Tuella County is where the Donner Reed Party crossed over the Great Salt Lake Desert, which is known today as the Salt Flats. Because this trek took much longer than anticipated due to the salt sand, the resources were eliminated much quicker than planned. Some of their wagons also got stuck and had to be abandoned along with the animals that pulled them. These oxen and cows would die, along with the people depleted of food and water. It got so bad for the party that they ultimately had to resort to cannibalism to survive. Tuella County then became a mining town, but after people in the community perished from mining accidents and disease, the area became desolate once again, until the U.S. government built a military base and chemical weapons facilities in the area during the 20th century. With new families moving into the area, it was important to have a hospital nearby. Before the hospital was built, many members of the community were forced to birth at home, have makeshift surgeries in small rooms, and could only see a doctor by home visits. So the idea of having an actual hospital was very exciting. Tooele Valley Hospital was opened in 1953. Tooele Valley Hospital was a miracle to some people, giving them exactly what they needed in terms of health care. But for some others, they viewed the facility as the hospital of death. With the small amount of funding the hospital received, it couldn't always provide the care needed. The staff that worked at the hospital tried desperately to do their best, even with medical science not being at the tier it is today. Soon, people in the area would opt for a longer drive out to Salt Lake City in order to receive better care from a more top-notch hospital. 
a new hospital ended up being built in the area, and Tooele Valley Hospital could not keep up. After much effort to keep it afloat, they ended up having to close the door and abandon the hospital in 2002, leaving everything behind. It was on their final day that doctors, nurses, and staff just got up, closed the door, and left everything abandoned as it was. A nursing home did start using part of the original Tooele Valley Hospital, but the other part of the building just sat for years, with many of the original hospital machines collecting dust. Four years later, a man by the name of Kim Anderson would buy the old hospital and repurpose it as a haunted house attraction. It was a shocking discovery for him when he entered the hospital to see how much was actually left behind. Entering into unoccupied space felt so eerie, and seeing all the hospital beds, machines, and equipment left. But also, much to his surprise, it wasn't just the material artifacts that were left. It was also the souls of many who entered the hospital walls and never got the opportunity to leave. Sooner than he anticipated, he was about to make contact with the spirits that haunted the walls of this old hospital. After he signed the paperwork and was handed the keys to the old Tooele Valley Hospital, he decided to walk through the building, looking into all of the rooms, gazing at the equipment, picturing what he was going to do with the space and what machinery he would use as props in his new haunted house. As he entered into the conference room, he saw a makeshift maze created by white sheets that the nursing home used to make their own little haunted house. As Kim walked through the maze, Pushing his way through the sheets, he started to feel an overwhelming sense of dread flaring up through his body, feeling as if he was being watched by someone. He tried to push the thoughts out of his mind, summing his experiences up to irrational fear. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, he felt someone touching his legs. As he looked down, he couldn't see anyone, but noticed that it looked as if someone was pulling at his cargo shorts. The pulling was so particular that he thought that whatever invisible force was pulling at his shorts seemed to be coming from a child. Spooked as ever, he said screw this and made a run for it, vowing to never enter the conference room in the evening hours again and to never tell a soul what he experienced. With the Halloween season approaching quickly, construction crews made their way into the building working to set up what was needed for the haunted house attraction. Kim would work mostly at night since he had another day job, but he would decorate certain rooms, placing props where they belonged, and staying far away from the conference room. While volunteers would come help get the attraction ready, weird and strange things would happen often in the old hospital. Tools would go missing, random banging would be heard, strange visions would be seen in the corner of their eyes, and even voices saying names of the workers would be heard. Many of the volunteers would just try to distract themselves by blaring music and hoping for the best, but they all knew something was off in this building. One day, as Kim was making his way through the old hospital with one of the owners from the nursing home, they approached the conference room, and the owner of the nursing home asked Kim what he thought of the room. It was then that Kim decided to share his experience with the nursing home owner. The owner told Kim that they decided to create their own little haunted house in this space a year ago, and customers would tell him that the little blonde girl standing in the middle of the maze was, quote, scary as hell. But there was no little girl that they hired to be in the maze, and he didn't have the heart to tell them that. Kim wondered if what he experienced was the little blonde girl that the customers a year before terrifyingly experienced. 
Tooele Valley Hospital was a desired spot for paranormal investigators, and with the experiences Kim had endured, he was open to letting some of these investigators do some research in his hospital. Still, very skeptical of believing his building was actually haunted, he followed the team around, listening to the many EVPs that they collected in their time there. The only way Kim was going to be convinced that his building was actually haunted was to collect his own sample. He decided to buy a tape recorder and enter the building one evening on his own. He went from room to room, asking questions and receiving silence back. At one point, he even nervously entered the conference room, hoping that maybe he could get into contact with the little girl that touched his legs. But he received nothing. One final push was to enter the area that was used as the emergency room, since many of the investigators said that they received a lot of EVPs in this area. Much to the dismay of Kim, even when he was asking questions in this area of the hospital, he still received nothing. After he had spent a few hours trying to collect EVP samples, he decided to leave, cutting his losses. As he drove home, he replayed the tapes, hearing the same silence on the tapes as he heard in person, until he heard one of his questions answered with full audible volume. In his segment in the emergency room, he asked, Is there anybody who would like to talk to me? And a response was heard that said, I'm dying. Stunned, he immediately rewound the tape and listened again. And again, the voice recorder said, I'm dying, clear as day. It was at that moment he truly knew that his haunted house attraction was actually haunted. When it was finally time to get his haunted house rolling, he hired many actors to play many of the deranged hospital workers that would make his Asylum 49 haunted house attraction come to life. With the changing of seasons, the changing of themes and decor will also change. So while we are unsure of what the haunted house actually portrays when you enter, we can only imagine it includes many of the features you see in any haunted house attraction. Darkness, glowing lights, fog, fake blood, mazes, dummies used as cadavers, actors jumping out at you, and even interacting with you. Because Asylum 49 gives the customer an option of a full contact experience. If you don't know what that is, it's when the actors can touch, pull, grab, and even pour things over you. You usually have to sign a waiver when this option is given. There is a no contact option as well. The main element that makes this haunted house attraction different than most though is that it takes place in a once full functioning hospital. So this makes every bit of your experience so much more realistic. Another fun note to add is as Halloween approaches, the spirits become more active. It is as if the extra energy causes extra paranormal phenomena. Many of the actors that were hired knew that the attraction was actually haunted. With many of them having their own experiences of seeing shadow figures, full apparitions, and voices, it would sometimes get complicated for the actors and they would get overly spooked, telling Kim they wouldn't be able to continue to work and scare until certain aspects of the actual hauntings were taken care of. One particular event happened right before his attraction was supposed to open one evening. As he was walking through the hospital, making sure all of the actors were in their designated place, he noticed that none of his actors were anywhere to be found. As he walked along the hallways, he found them all huddled together. When he asked what was going on, 
They told him that they were not going to work if the little girl from the hallway didn't go away, that she was scaring them too much for their comfort. Kim left the group looking for the little girl they were mentioning. Suddenly, he saw a little girl crouched, crying in her hands. He asked her what was wrong, and she said that she just wanted to scare people like everyone else, and it wasn't fair that she couldn't. Understanding that she was scaring his workers, he came up with a plan. He told her that she could scare with the others, but since she was actually scaring some of the workers, that she could hide under hospital beds and grab at the customer's legs as they were walking through the haunted house. That way, she was out of sight from the other workers, but she was appeased in her own sense. Very excited, the little girl evaporated into a cloud of black and moved under the hospital bed, taking her place to scare the customers. Since discovering that his haunted house attraction was actually haunted, Kim started holding ghost tours and hunts after the hours of the haunted house, so that people who wanted to have their own paranormal experiences were given the opportunity. Now, while many entities did haunt the walls of the hospital, it was soon discovered that many of these entities claimed certain spots and rooms. As the tour groups made their way from room to room, they would be told which entities haunted the specific areas of the hospital. We are aware that a lot of this will be very hard to believe, but the following are the spirits in the areas of the hospital they reside in. In the main hallway, two spirits are known to have claimed this space. One of the spirits is a shadow figure named Robert. Robert is known to enjoy hanging out in the shadows of the hallway, and people who are familiar with his spirit are able to see him lurking in those shadows. One time, camera footage caught him following a group around the haunted house attraction, acting as if he were one in the group. He is known to have quite a humorous personality, only letting those he trusts see him. The other spirit that has taken over the hallway is of a burn victim named Jeremy. He isn't quite as friendly as Robert. Many know they are in his presence because he always has a very strong burn odor attached to him. His apparition has melted and distorted facial features, looking almost clown-like. When Kim first took over the hospital, he would refer to Jeremy as the freaky-looking clown. And it took the resident psychic Misty to tell Kim, quote, that when he refers to Jeremy that way, it really hurts his feelings, unquote. Another more sinister trait to Jeremy is that he likes to lie, pretending to be other spirits in the hospital. When trying to talk to the spirits using EVPs, sometimes Jeremy will pretend to be one of the many other spirits being conjured up to communicate, and unless one is very knowledgeable of the spirits residing in the hospital, he's given away by his burning scent. In the nursery, there are several resident ghosts that have made themselves known. The first two are the spirits of a doctor and nurse. They are known to be more of an intelligent haunting rather than a residual one. It is said they are completely unaware they are dead and are still at the hospital to continue the work they did in their life. The nurse will even fuss at some of the workers, telling them that they are in her way and to get out. Another pair of ghosts in this area is the spirits of two girls, one named Sarah and one named Tabitha. Sarah is much more outgoing than Tabitha and is one of the more active and seen spirits in the hospital. Sarah is said to be seen in a white, long, lacy nightgown with her long black hair hanging in front of her face, almost grudge-like. Both girls love all the activity during the Halloween season and even get sad and depressed once the hospital gets less busy and has less visitors. 
Some of the staff have even volunteered their own time during the off-season to just hang out in the nursery area to keep the girls company, and sometimes they even bring them toys to play with. One evening, when the haunted house was packed full of visitors, one woman told the owners that she saw a little girl looking for her mommy. The little girl was described as Sarah and had a long white lacy dress on. She held the hand of the woman as they made their way through the house looking for her mother. After a while, the woman noticed she wasn't holding the hand of the little girl anymore and noticed she was nowhere around her. She figured that at some point the little girl must have found her mother. Imagine the shock of the woman when she found out who this little girl really was. There's also the apparition of a cancer patient that makes her way through the neonatal area to the nursery. Many confused as to why her apparition would be in this area, it was discovered that she is often looking for a husband and also liked to see the babies when the nursery was once up and running. Along with these spirits, residual voices and noises of babies crying are heard frequently in this area. In patient rooms one and two, there are two ghosts that haunt this space. One is of a young boy named Thomas and a sassy elderly woman named Ava. Thomas was a boy who lived in the area when the hospital was first built, and while he grew to an old age and died an old man, he's chosen to live in the afterlife as a young boy since his spirit preferred to be more energetic and playful. He's mostly known to play pranks on the staff and visitors that come by room one. He enjoys messing up the bed, especially when it's made. He thoroughly enjoys getting a stir from Kim and other workers. An old lady named Ava enjoys making her presence known in room two. One evening, a sensitive person walked into the room and was able to tell Kim that the spirit that resides in the room is that of an elderly lady, and that she wanted to, quote, get more recognition, but not too much recognition, unquote. It's important to note here that the staff take the spirits in the hospital very seriously and want to make sure that they're always given respect and are comfortable in the afterlife. One evening, they asked Ava what would make her time at the hospital more enjoyable, and using the flashlight trick, Spirits are given yes and no questions, and their answer is to switch the flashlight on and off. And she said that she wanted a pillow and a deck of cards to play games. The staff would even sometimes play with her using the flashlight to see what cards she wanted to put down. An interesting story that has to do with Ava is that one day, a woman reached out to Asylum 49 saying that she was born at the Tooele County Hospital way back in the day and wanted to show her kids where she was born and take them around the hospital. Since her kids were with her, she was given a PG ghost tour by Cammie, one of the other owners of Asylum 49. The woman suddenly stopped at patient room 2 and said that it was her grandmother's room and that she died there. Wanting to possibly make contact with her spirit, The woman tried using the flashlight method to get some answers from her grandmother, but she unfortunately didn't receive anything back. Cammie told her, unfortunately, we just don't know when the spirits will actually cooperate. And the woman left, but told him that she was going to send pictures of her grandmother to the old hospital to see if she looked familiar to them. And sure enough, when she sent them the picture, it was the exact woman. Room 6, which was later turned into room 666, holds the spirit of a man named Wesley, who is plagued with dementia in his waking life. Much like the personality traits of one who is suffering from this disease, you never quite know what type of mood you will find Wesley in. 
He is another one of the more active spirits in the hospital, and he is known to be more physical than the other spirits, even attacking people per his mood. He is also pretty well known to leave his room and cross over the hallway. Many visiting ghost tour attendees have been able to see him crossing over the hallway when shining their flashlight in a particular manner. But he is not the only ghost that is seen in this area of the hospital. Another spirit that seems far more malevolent has been seen in place of Wesley. One evening, Cammie was with the paranormal investigator hosting a ghost tour, and they were interacting with a spirit they initially thought was Wesley. But it was behaving in such a different manner that they thought it was odd. This shadow figure was pacing back and forth in the back of the hallway, stretched out in an unnatural way to Wesley. As the two women sat there analyzing the shadow figure, they started asking it questions with no reply back. The figure would then get frustrated with them, inching closer and closer to them, then reverting back to the end of the hallway. All of a sudden, the figure then attempted to get on all fours and started crawling towards them. The shadow figure then crouched over one of the women, which was then that they decided they needed to leave, not knowing what may happen next. The figure suddenly disappeared, and they were able to escape. Many visitors have left room 666 and surrounding areas with welts, bright red scratches, and bruises, considering that whatever else haunts that area might be considered demonic. Over time, the conference room was turned into a faux chapel for the haunted house attraction. It is deemed as being one of the most paranormally active areas in the hospital. The chapel is set up and decorated to look like any other hospital chapel. The pews were made from some of the wood left over by other Asylum 49 projects, but some of the other pews were from real churches. One of the pews that was moved into the chapel has a spirit attached to it and goes wherever the church pew goes. This spirit is known to be very sad, and it was discovered that he viewed his own funeral sitting in the pew. Another spirit that is commonly felt or seen in the chapel is that of a child. And lastly, a spirit with inhuman long legs and arms, similar to Slenderman, is often seen in the doorway of the chapel. The next area of the hospital we will discuss is the former staff kitchen and lounge. For some reason, the electromagnetic energy in these rooms is at an all-time high and it's almost useless to use any paranormal equipment in this area. This room has been decorated to feature many scary dolls that cover every space of the area. Everywhere you look, you are staring into the eyes of the hundreds of dolls, feeling as if they are watching your every move. Many of the dolls are said to be haunted by their own attachments, and being in contact with many spirits of many different ages is common. Two spirits that are most frequently seen in this area is that of a shadow boy and a shadow man. They are always together. When you see one, you see the other. Even with the discussion to the spirits in the hospital that they could roam around freely, but they could not attach themselves to anyone and follow them home, the shadow boy and man did not follow these rules and attached themselves to Kim and followed him home. This particular night, Kim was very exhausted and just wanted to get some sleep. He noticed as he was falling asleep in bed that there was pacing near his feet. As he looked up, he saw the shadow man and boy. Annoyed that they did not follow the rules of attaching themselves, Kim asked the older shadow to leave, but the younger boy could stay. He then drifted off to sleep. When he returned back to the hospital the next day, he noticed when he entered the staff lounge and kitchen area that another shadow accompanied the young boy and man. In the center of this room, hovering right below the ceiling, another shadow presence was there. The shadow boy and man were also in the room, but it was apparent that they were trying to keep their distance from the figure, as if they were fearful of it. Once again, Kim asked the spirits to not follow him home, and once he got home, he still felt an eerie and ominous feeling. 
As he started drifting off to sleep, he could feel something climb on top of him, starting to crush him. The feeling only got heavier, and he knew he was in big trouble if he couldn't get this thing off of him. Eventually, he was able to use all of his force to get this invisible entity off of him, and it was later discovered that the reason the boy in Shadow Man originally came home with Kim was to warn him and protect him. The malevolent Shadow Man came to tell Kim to give them more respect and to not look at them as performing circus monkeys. Kim decided to agree to this with fear that next time he may not be so lucky if he was attacked again. Now when entering this room, he tells of the spirits that occupy the space, but doesn't encourage interacting with the spirits much in the staff lounge and kitchen. Rooms 20 and 21 were used as makeshift morgues when the building was originally a hospital. The hospital didn't have an actual morgue, so until the bodies of the recently deceased were able to be picked up, they were stored in rooms 20 and 21. Now, with this being an area with many dead souls, the activity is pretty heavy. In an EVP session conducted by some paranormal investigators, they were able to hear full-blown conversations between some of the spirits who resided in this room. One story from this room stands out more than the rest, however. When communicating with some of the spirits in this room, one spirit from a young boy started communicating and said that one of his family members shot him dead and he died in the hospital. When giving a tour one evening, Kim told the story to the group and one woman in the crowd started crying. Kim asked what was wrong and she said that the little boy who died was her nephew and that she didn't understand how Kim had all the knowledge he had surrounding his death because the family had always vowed to keep the family member who shot him protected. She was visibly angry and not knowing how to handle the situation, Kim told her that she should listen to the EVP herself. When she listened, she did agree that it sounded much more like the little boy. Later on, Kim got a call from the boy's mother asking if she could possibly hear the EVP and try to communicate with the boy. After hearing the EVP, she too agreed that it sounded just like her son and proceeded to try to make contact with him. Using the flashlight method to get in contact with her son, she asked him several questions and finally received some answers from the boy. From Estep's book, the answers the mother received were, the boy told his mother to stop grieving for him, adding that he was fine and further reinforcing the fact that the shooting had been a complete accident. He wanted to make sure the family member involved didn't get blamed for it and that it was supposed to happen this way. It was his time to go. With much relief, the mother felt satisfied with her time in contact with her son, and it made her feel much less guilty for what happened to him. She felt like she'd finally be able to heal and move on from what happened. The Green Mile is the last area of the hospital we will discuss. This area of the hospital is named the Green Mile because the carpet that trails along the floor is a light green color. In the Green Mile, there is known to be the spirit of a nurse and the spirit of something the staff called the Guardian. Not to get confused by its name and think that this is an entity of a protector. The spirit is much more malevolent and possibly demonic. The spirit was also seen often in the nursing home. The nursing home shut down in 2017, but the presence of this spirit was known to enter the rooms of the elderly staying in the nursing home around 3 a.m. Usually when he entered, it meant that they would soon be deceased, and they would commonly pass away soon after. Many are scared of the guardian's presence, as he would often inflict wounds and get physical with members of the staff. 
Now that the nursing home is closed down, it is with great pleasure that this being can no longer steal the souls of the most vulnerable, but his presence is still known to walk the Green Mile. If you are interested in attending the attraction at Asylum 49, their open season usually begins towards the end of September and continues through mid-November. There are many options with different experiences. $30 to $35 will get you into the attraction with contact or without. Then there are more extreme options for $100 to $150, which gives you the chance to enter through a secret entrance and a mandatory tap out to end. If you would like more information, you can go to Asylum49.com. Hey guys, Holly and Brittany here. Um, We're back to discuss some of the things that stood out to us or to include some pieces of information that weren't included in the episode. If you want to, um, you can give us a five-star rating if you like us and want to show us your support. It really, really means the world. So, Britt, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good. Any interesting things happen to you this weekend? Um, Not really. I had a pretty low-key week. I got to sleep in then go hiking. Yeah, you went hiking. Where'd you go hiking? Um, the Iron Hill Trail on Red Top Mountain, that's in Cartersville. It's uh, just a nice little hike. It's like three and a half to four miles. And I took my two dogs, so we got some sunshine and some exercise. That's cool. Um, yeah, the only memory I have of Red Top Mountain was when I went to like stayed in a cabin weekend with some guy I was kind of dating, and it was really awkward and it wasn't fun. And actually, after that weekend, it ended. <laughs> so... Go Red Top Mountain. I like Red Top Mountain. Um, What did you do this weekend? Uh, Worked on the podcast. Not really much. Um, Had a mental breakdown this morning, but that's okay. That's what happens when you're a parent with uh, two toddlers, one in three. It's a very hard age. So, yeah, that's what I did. Had a mental breakdown. That's about it. So I hope everyone else's weekend was better than mine. All right. So... One of um, this whole episode was crazy, obviously. Uh, Something I found interesting was literally everything. But when I first started looking into the attraction, so as you guys know, by listening to our episode, the uh, it's a actual like haunted house attraction. If you're from Atlanta, it'd be like going to Netherworld or something like that. I don't really know like a whole lot of haunted house attractions outside of Atlanta. And at first I was like, oh, that would be cool. But then I found out that it was full contact, which means that they can like actually touch you, right? And pour things on your head, do whatever else they want to do. And I'm just not cool with that. I don't know why, like, I'll go to a haunted house attraction any day of my life. Like, I love it. But the second somebody can touch me, that's when I'm like, peace out, I'm done. Yeah, you're, like, asking to be hunted. (laughs) Yeah. That in, like, the sections of the haunted houses when they have the fog and then the people can, like go under the fog and then jump out Oh my out gosh, that's my favorite part. <laughs> it's like the most terrifying. I have no idea if Asylum 49 has that, but I'm sure they do. But the coolest thing about it is that like the actual haunted house is in an old hospital, which like the setting is perfect. I feel like 
you know, they don't have to like create like crazy set designs because it's like already in an old hospital. Mm -hmm. But I did find out later on that they actually, when I went on their website, that they do have a no contact, no contact option. So I was like, okay, since I have some family that lives in the Salt Lake City area, I thought maybe I could go this year if it's open. That would be cool. And then I can tell everyone about it. But would you want to go to Asylum 49? Um, I think this is one of the few ones that I would go into. It sounds super spooky, and I work in a hospital, so it would add a whole different element to it. I think I would do the no contact part of it. And that way, you know, if you did feel a little tug at your pants or someone holding your hand, you would know it wasn't one of the people trying to touch you. Right. It sounds like you would go. Yes. No, I would definitely go. I think it would be, they'd be a lot of fun. And they also, and I don't know if they still do this because a lot of the information that we got a lot of the podcast information from is pretty dated, like from several years. So I don't know like how everything is running right now with the haunted house. But from what I was reading, they also did like ghost tours and ghost hunts. So you could bring like your paranormal equipment and try to like pick up some EVPs and stuff like after hours, which I think would be really awesome too. They just started opening that up because there was just like such a huge slew of paranormal activity in this place. And the paranormal activity really ramps up during Halloween, which I thought was also something pretty interesting because it would seem like the more people that would be around, the less these spirits would want to interact. But apparently it's like the more energy there is, the more active spirits are going to be. So um, I listened, just a side note, I listened to a different podcast that Holly had sent me and it essentially just talked about the book written on Asylum 49 and they equated it to, you know, when you're like, I think it was like when someone you really like comes to visit you and the whole time you're just like waiting and waiting and waiting and that's what the spirits are doing. But then when it's the haunted house season, it's like the spirits know they get to interact with people versus just the regular people they see every day. So it's exciting for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do get excited, which is really interesting. They just like they want to interact with the other haunt, like the other scares in the haunted house and want to like scare people too which it's just like it just is so interesting how these spirits can have like such human-like qualities and still like desire the same things that humans desire and the story about the two little girls that get sad when the Halloween season ends and they don't have as many people coming to see them it just like broke my heart (laughs) Just little, little like ghost kids are so sad to me. One of the little ghost kids from the story, the little boy whose family member shot him, um, I was actually looking it up and not quite sure if it's the same person, but there was an article on Desert News about a seven-year-old boy playing with a gun, accidentally killed and shot his younger brother. Um, this came out, this article came out in 2001 And it goes into 
there was a rifle hanging up in the bedroom of their parents' homes. Um, the two boys decided to play with the gun and probably found ammunition in the closet because the parents said there was no uh, ammunition in the gun at the time and shot him, uh, I think, in the neck. And then they could also see where the bullet went through the window. And there was another kid in the house, and then also the mom was home. So I know that in the story, it was a boy who um, spoke on the EVP, and Kim, the owner of Asylum 49, was talking about a tour, and a woman came up to him after. So it was just kind of interesting to see how this story came out. The boy went to the hospital. The aunt was like, that's my nephew. And then a very similar article, but there isn't a lot of research. No, I guess not research. There weren't a lot of articles when I was looking it up. A lot of it was referencing to some other shooting that had happened in Utah. Um, but it seems like it's around the right time period. Yeah, because the hospital didn't close until 2002. So mm-hmm. it very well could have been. And right, that story was heartbreaking, but... The fact that the mother got some closure from mm-hmm. it is also really good because obviously I can't imagine how she must have felt going through that. And then yeah. also, you know, before Kim Anderson, I remember when he was talking about this situation happening, and I mean reading, I did not talk to Kim Anderson. Reading you don't personally about it. know Kim Anderson? <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> He said that, you know, he was really, really worried about the fact that these people knew, like they knew this little boy and he just felt terrible because he definitely wasn't trying to like dredge anything up. He didn't want to stir up anybody's emotions. And it just made me like feel even more so. I know that it's, I know that it's so easy to be skeptical of all of these things, even as we're reading and we're digging in and we're doing the research of all these places, like I find myself completely skeptical, most skeptical most of the time, just because I really haven't had like any crazy paranormal experiences like this. I've right. definitely had some of my own, but nothing, nothing to this extent. So even reading this, it's like, man, this is hard to believe. I remember texting you so many times being like, this is like a movie. This is crazy. Yeah. Like, this is the craziest story that we have definitely covered this whole, I'd say season, but like seven episodes. Um, I'm sure we'll get into crazier. But yeah, he felt really bad because one of the biggest things is that he didn't want to stir up any emotions or like cause distress to people if he didn't have to. So at the end of it, it was good that she did get some closure. And Mm -hmm. that goes along with just the ability to communicate with the spirits in this this hospital is just mind-blowing. And so many people claiming to see like the apparition of the little girl, Sarah, with the white dress and the long hair and it, even her holding like the hands of, of a customer. It just it just blows my mind. Like and I know that a lot of people go to Tuella Hospital or Asylum 49 to kind of get those experiences. And I know that I know that it doesn't happen all the time. Like I know that a lot of people probably don't get it. Something that I've read from a lot of paranormal investigators is that they 
most of the time it's like super boring when they're doing paranormal work because things don't just like consistently happen. They happen randomly and like in spurts and not consistently. So I know that probably a lot of the time when people are going on doing these ghost hunts or doing the ghost tours, like they're not experiencing very much. But also something interesting about EVPs too, because like I, I'm learning about paranormal work as we're going through and researching is that a lot, a lot of the time with EVPs, like you don't hear it until you play it back. And then, and then you yeah. can hear like the communication happening too, which is what sounds like a lot of that is what's happening in this hospital. That just seems so weird though. Cause this hospital was also, it wasn't the original building. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so strange that these ghosts would reside here, but also how prominent they are and how, I don't want to use the word realistic, but almost solid they mm-hmm. are. And, you know, it just makes you wonder about, because we were kind of talking last episode about the caves and the limestone and the quartz, and now this is in the salt flats. So does salt have some of that element to it as well? Right. Um, yeah. And the fact that it's a hospital, mm-hmm. too. I mean, hospitals can be, because there's so much death, and that's something that we were talking about, because there's so much death and so much energy with, like, the machines that are that are running in the hospital, uh, there's just, like, this energy surge, right? So it's just, like, death and energy. So I think it just, like, plays well together. Mm-hmm. And with the nursing home being there before and it finally closed down which is good because honestly reading about this and even some of the nurses knowing about some of these entities and like these Mm -hmm. entities would walk into their patients rooms and then the patient would die right like it was like a sign like they knew that once these entities were walking into their rooms that by you know like they weren't going to be living much longer. It just seems like, like, seems so. like you're feeding the old souls to the entities almost. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like. I mean, these poor, poor people, it just, it just seemed, and I, and I understand, you know, in terms of skepticism and not having a lot of funding, there probably wasn't a lot of op- like options there. Right. But it just seems like really irresponsible, honestly, to have kept it open and kept that nursing unit there for so long. It might have been the only one that was really, that could accept people for a while. Because I know that that's sometimes what happens with nursing homes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was just almost just like a mach- like a, a soul emerging machine in this building. Like people were still dying in this building even after it was no longer a hospital. Yeah. So I do wonder if some of that activity has, I wouldn't say slowed down, but maybe not grown as much in the time. And I mean, hopefully these like old souls aren't trapped there. That would be really sad. Trapped by the guardian. But there's only certain souls that show themselves. So you would have to think not all of them are trapped there. Right. So. Yes. And there, they did discuss something about like a vortex in the area of the hotel too that we didn't really get into in the episode because there wasn't a whole lot of information but if it's similar to the vortex at the stanley you know i'm not i'm not envisioning it's as like light and bright as the stanley but that like there are spirits that are coming and going and there were several stories where a lot of the people that were there weren't trapped 
Mm-hmm. A lot of the spirits that were there weren't trapped. They just wanted to be there for some reason. And maybe it was the activity. Maybe it was the ability to interact with humans. And maybe that's what they wanted. And that's why they want to be there. I found it super interesting, the demonic presence that uh, sits on Wesley or whatever it does and Mm -hmm. sometimes pretends to be Wesley. Right. It's like, I don't, it makes you wonder what this entity is like getting out of it. Because to me, it doesn't seem like he's, he (laughs) doesn't seem like it's, it hurts people, but it's Mm -hmm. not like killing people. Right. So like, I don't know. It seems like, what are you getting out of it? Oh, and if maybe. it pretends to be Wesley, like, does it need Wesley? Like, is Wesley there and then it's pretending to be Wesley? I don't know. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but maybe it's maybe it was the same spirit that was going in and killing the residents. And I say killing, like, you know, we don't really know. But It's not smothering them with a pillow. The, yeah, the essentially the Grim Reaper, right? I mean, that's what he is. But it's also interesting when you look at all of these demonic entities. Like, we've we've not covered a whole lot of that in our episode so far. But so far what we have, it's, it's almost like it's the same entity. Like, it's always like the shadow creature. It's, like, long and big and tall. So, like, if y'all see that in your house or anywhere, just, like, make a run for it. Oh, that reminds me of the movie. Um, but there's a mom... Who always lives in the dark and it has like oh lights out. Yes. Yeah, that's that was a terrifying movie. That movie was so scary. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. I imagine that. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I imagine the entity in the dark a lot. (laughs) Somebody asked me. They were like, "Don't you get scared talking about all this?" And I was like, "No, not really. Like, I really don't. I don't know if I just compartmentalize it or most of it isn't scary, but like." There are a few times where I, like, at night and it's dark, I kind of, like, you know, run to my bed after, like, going to the bathroom or something. Just like, ah, you know, don't get me. I don't know. I never feel scared unless I'm home alone at night. And then I'm like, someone or something's in the closet or in the attic. But I'm always scared it's, like, a real person, not a ghost. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that's the thing, too, like. I I would say it's because we haven't had, like, a whole lot of, like, paranormal experiences where we see, like, apparitions or shadow figures from, like, what I know. But I also feel like people that do, like, aren't as scared anyway, which is weird. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, Yeah. And then I, like, also will freak myself out sometimes watching Paranormal Witness. That's the only show that, like, actually freaks me out, and I don't know why. And I actually would wonder now, watching it, if... I would change my mind after starting this podcast, but I don't know. I like being scared. Like I like that feeling. So there's like some sort of comfort to it. I don't know why, but I like being scared too. Unless um, I'm really scared and then I don't like being scared. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, like, yeah, I don't want like actual fear, right? Like I don't want to have to experience like actual fear. Like I'm like, I'm actually like trying to survive fear. Yeah. I like the false fear, the fake fear, the playful fear. (laughs) Uh, I'm just imagining this is happening or imagining what could happen fear. Or, and the other thing that freaks me out too, which is something else that happened to Kim and maybe several other people is attachments. Like that is like, ugh. Yeah. Don't attach yourself to me. Like don't get. That's like the whole, um, the conjuring movies. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They have the where it's like the evil old man. Oh yeah, the attaches lady in black. No, the other there's there's the two that's the lady in black, and then there's that's why I think it's the third one. It's the guy who who lived in the apartment building with the girl, and he um, is like the evil entity and is trying to capture her soul and like tries mm-hmm. to make her kill herself. Okay. Um, or I've seen it, but I can't. I don't know why I can't. The lady uh, in black is what scared me the most out of those. Yeah. Well, you know what's crazy? Oh, is, I'm thinking of Insidious. It's all kind of the same. Oh, maybe yeah. it is Insidious. Okay. Maybe it is Insidious. It's 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 all the same universe. Right. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and you know what's crazy about that one? The one that you're talking about is, spoiler alert for anyone who's never seen any of these movies, I can't believe you haven't. The lady in black is the guy from the nursing home. Oh. Do you remember that? They like went through the they went to the nursing home or hospital and like went through the files and it was like yeah. a male patient. Yes. So it dresses up as the lady in black. Ugh. Yes, yes, I remember that. I was gonna, I was gonna tie in something, and I forgot. Oh, yes, I posted a picture on, and I guess I'll try to add it on to do images of this episode. But I did post an image last week, I think, with the ghost sitting on the pew with like the covering with the sheet mm-hmm. covering and that reminded me so much of the insidious i think insidious too when they break into the room and they have all of those beings sitting there with the sheets over them yeah Ugh. i think that's the same one i'm talking about okay yeah that is just like terrifying to me that is terrifying to me all of it so I don't know. Maybe I'll go to this haunted house. Maybe you'll get to come to Brit and we can tell everybody about it. Yay. And if you have been to Asylum 49, please send us an email or a message. Um, I know that we don't really talk about our Instagram on here very much. So if you don't follow us and you listen to us on whatever podcasting streaming service you use, our IG is Sisterstitious. Uh, spelled exactly how it is on the podcast. Um, so yeah, if you've been to Asylum 49, please send us a message or send us an email at sisterstitious at gmail.com because we'd seriously love to know your experience. Yeah, and if it's worth it. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's worth it. Um, I don't know if it's Asylum 49, but there's like some, once you get into Salt Lake City, there's like this massive sign for a haunted house, like on one of like the pillars in the Mm -hmm. middle of the city. And I think it's Asylum 49, but I'm not sure. So I imagine, and I always thought it was weird. I was like, that's weird that that's in Salt Lake City. Like Salt Lake City does not seem like the place would be like advertising massive haunted houses. Yeah, but... Now that they own the part of the building that was the nursing home, it's like thirty six thousand square feet. Oh my gosh! I know. Well, mm-hmm. I think it's. I think the nursing home was like two hundred thousand square feet. I don't know. Maybe that's like a really large amount of square footage. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. it's going to be even bigger and even better. So we're excited. And like you said, yeah. Ben. Tell us. And next week, we're talking about an actual haunted house. And I don't remember where it's located. Do you? No. Okay. Well, it'll be a surprise to all of us. (laughs) Yeah. We're getting into some, like, unfamiliar territory here. So 
we're all experiencing this. But I mean, that's what we were trying to do. We were interested in researching all about different haunted places all around the world. So we're learning just like you guys. That's why it's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think everything was covered in our story. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? I know, except if this is a very long episode and you've made it this far, we applaud you and thank you for wanting to hear our voices for this long. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. All right. And you'll get to hear us again next week because we'll have another episode next week and we can't wait to share that with you guys. So we hope you have an awesome week and we'll see you. Well, I guess we won't see you. You'll hear us next week. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. This episode was produced, written, and edited by Holly Daniel and Brittany Murray. Cover art by Ben May. We want to thank you for listening to this production of Sister Stitious. 